Well, I was going to start this episode with the French pronunciation of and we're back. And I looked that up and spent like a minute and a half trying to <laughs> enunciate it and pronounce it. And then I realized I don't know how to do a French accent. <laughs> so in lieu of like mispronouncing a word and saying something awful and just offending a whole swath of people that way, I'll just I'll stick with English and say and we're back. Welcome to another episode of Mike, Mike and Oscar. We have another can update for you as this is the final day of can the award show of can actually just I think wrapped up a couple minutes ago as we hit record here. I am your co-host Mike one. This is co-host also Mike. Yeah, I think it was about a month ago now we did a huge preview episode of, of all these films and Today is like a shameless exercise, Mike, because we're going to aggregate what other people have said about these films and react to the reactions Mm -hmm. and kind of just check in on where everything is. And we have a Cannes Awards show Mm -hmm. uh, to talk about where, of course, our beloved Spike Lee in the very first moments of the show spoiled the last (laughs) award of the night. And I think I just stopped laughing about it I think just like I, it took me about 25 minutes i was literally just pissing myself just completely soiling myself with laughter and i love spike lee so hard and here he is just a, he doesn't know what they're saying mike it's yeah like a, 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 the president spike lee and he's like the winner of the pop doors to ten. <laughs> He, just he he said it like so matter of factly. I have a whole slew of questions. Like there was no pause. He right? Pause. Well, like, yeah, is Lorenz. Spike Lee not familiar with the Cannes Film Festival? He has to. I would think any yeah. major director knows what the Palme d'Or is. So I'm if you sure. see that on the card, you, you, you may skip it. Maybe. How many of those awards have you watched though? And we're awards pundits. I I think I've watched two. Yeah. Right. We've been covering this for five years. We don't watch it every year. It's on YouTube. It's on Canal. We don't effing know. And he's he's probably like, damn, I wish I didn't dress in that Space Jam uniform right about now. <laughs> I, mean, I don't know what that's the equivalent of either. Like, I guess if, so, if, if the Oscars ever get a host back and somebody comes out and gives their monologue of jokes and they just happen to announce what wins best picture and tells everyone they can change the channel, maybe that's the equivalent. But yeah, uh, that's how the awards show kicked off. Tan uh, was announced inadvertently and by mistake in a, in a very Steve Harvey-esque uh, memorialized way. Uh, it, it's it's won. It won the Palme d'Or. The best film in competition is the movie Titan, uh, much to, I guess, Spike Lee's chagrin now. So Julia Ducourneau of Raw, uh, starring Jonathan Linden. Uh, Mike, this movie got some of the most polarized responses in terms of just like raw, visceral reactions, both in the theater, apparently, because there's mid-movie boos and walkouts and mm. Screen Talk was was mentioning it today. But overall, the critical response has been uproarious. 95 percent, 19 reviews, 73 Metascore, 6.8 IMDb audience score. And Thompson thought uh, the director uh, is brilliant. She does not necessarily think it's going to be France's Oscar submission, Michael, because this movie, like many movies that can, uh, it's just too provocative, apparently. And Brian Formo added on to that, uh, if you are adventurous and have a stomach of steel, uh, here are a few more adjectives to whet your appetite. <laughs> Insane, unsettling, unnerving, confounding, profane, mysterious, and absolutely beautiful. I squirmed every two minutes, holding my knees together or grabbing my seat. It starts off as a fetish giallo, <laughs> moves into body horror, and then something weirder uh, altogether. So, or something weirdly tender. Like I, I'm putting words in his mouth. Michael, this movie sounds insane. This was the first year that I felt like I truly was missing out by not being at Cannes. Mm. <laughs> and, and that description of what Tatan, the winner of this fe- film festival, mm-hmm. is kind of illuminating why. I feel like Cannes most times is having, having to do with the dramas or kicking off the awards races. And this lineup of Cannes felt like there was just so many 
weirdly over-the-top, depressing-slash-evisceral... Erotic. Messed up movie. Yeah, erotic, messed up <laughs> David movies. David Lynchian. <laughs> that are just in my wheelhouse. And I really felt like I was missing out. But yeah, I mean, look, one thing we know about director Julia DeCornal is that she knows how to make visually striking films, or at least sell her films in ways that are visually striking, as that almost neon pink background of, of Raw would suggest. This one has kind of got the same thing in that I don't know what's going on in Titan other than the, the IMDb preface. And I, I watched a couple trailers and, and the reviews online like you we have here. But there's this half-head-shaven, exposed-brain type thing going mm, on mm. with the protagonist that looks interesting. <laughs> Apparently, she's like a serial murderer for the first act of the film. And mm-hmm. she also is like this model who... I really shouldn't be describing this, but <laughs> she's a car model who also gets aroused by cars. Mm. Mm-hmm. So it's well, got we like, should have seen that coming. I probably could have filled in those blanks yeah. for you if you finished half that sentence. <laughs> Hollywood keeps making the same movies over and over, like I keep saying. So, did you see? I mean, can you believe the hard right turn of the trailer? Because the trailer is like horror movie trailer, horror movie trailer, guy in a mirror flexing, and then. Happy French movie trailer. Well, what's yeah. going on? It, it looks so awful. Like, you could have told me this was Gaspar No. You could have told me this was David Lynch. You could have told me this was a Cronenberg film. You could have, So props to Julia DeCornow. It's, I guess, enduring enough to actually woo a body of judges over in France, which I don't think that when you see, when you see all the list of winners of Cannes throughout the years... I think this one's going to stick out to you as something that's a little unnormal. And I like that about it. <laughs> the can is going to stick out as unnormal this year as a whole as well. But I, 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 I like that she followed up Raw with something completely batshit as well. I, I thought mm. that movie was... I, let's just put it this way. It's the only movie about cannibalism I'll ever enjoy. <laughs> so... There's that. Uh, but no, it worked as this weird... Put that on a poster, by the way. Yeah, we'll get on a poster for something stupid like that. Uh, but yeah, so Titan, I can't pronounce uh, any names in this episode, but certainly that one. I just, I can't get over that they actually picked pick this movie. I mean, we're following every beat of this, especially from the three pe- people we're going to mention quite a bit today, Scott Feinberg, etc. And I'm looking at this festival and what who could win the Palm d'Or, and I'm doing this, the crossover stats that we're going to get to in a moment all morning long, and I'm like, oh my God, can we get another Parasite? And no, they picked the David Cronenberg's crash, which is, of course, <laughs> about erotic car crash wounds. And Why not? Else. Why can't this be Parasite? That movie stunk. This one's at least interesting. No, I, I, no, okay. It makes it totally erroneous. There's no way this movie has any traction for awards, right? I mean, just I, based on the premises yeah. alone. What, I, I, right would be my my first instinct, but also who the hell knows what we're getting from this year? Because I wouldn't think this one. And nobody, I mean, a lot of the punditry thought that this was a hero's. I, I mean, a lot of sure. people we trust say that the, the a hero was going to win, and they expected a hero to win the Palm d'Or, and they thought it was going to be a hero. And I don't. Not until this morning, stateside, right before the red carpet stuff was getting underway over in France, did kind of the tenor of the expectations change for both the Palme d'Or and one other big category that we're going to talk about in a little bit. But I can at least see some of the, like Vincent London, who's the main father figure in this, he uh, was interviewed, I think it was by IndieWire earlier in the week, Mm. uh, saying that he had this grueling, painstaking, long two-year process to get in shape for this movie because he wanted to do it the right way and he knows his body doesn't react. The, he can't train the way he used to when he was younger, so he took the time to actually get his body in shape for the, I mean, there's a you have to respect and love that. So there's pieces to this that on a human level, on a personal level, I could see appealing to all sorts of people. Can the movie itself, apparently... Well, it's a must-see for us now, too. I yeah. mean, we're a couple of fat perverts. We're going to watch this in, <laughs> in a heartbeat. I mean... <laughs> And that's another thing about this festival. Everybody's like, 
This is the most perverse festival yet. Everybody's naked. Everybody's just gallivanting around. And the fact that you end a festival like this after this jury's just been, you know, in prison in their homes for a year and a half because of the pandemic. And they picked the most the most risque movie of them all and then they announce it the first five minutes of the award show it's just i just perfect i'm so glad everybody this is the only movie about cannibalism i'll ever enjoy dash a couple of fat perverts belongs on some kind of promotional material so we gotta go to forthcoming years of camp we missed the best one damn it uh but all right i did spend all morning on the crossover stats so let me explain those really quick michael even though this will have no effect <laughs> no effect on this year uh because and, and that's probably you know going back throughout history can is a what it's an eight nine person jury for mm-hmm. picking the palms yeah i mean there it could come down to just the taste of a few people and and they you know one two three selections get you the win but okay we have uh 81 michael 81 big winners at can eight of those are grand prix du festival international du film all right and that was before they called it the palme d'or and 73 palme d'or winners uh in the history basically it amounts to 70 years 70 years of giving out a grand prize at can there was two years where they did not give out a grand prize they gave a smattering of awards there was uh two more years where they didn't give a palm out at all 68 and 2020 of course for for uh, various exceptional reasons and then there was one year 1939 that had an oscar nominated film that was unnumbered they actually didn't start numbering the Cannes film festivals till after world war ii after they kind of restarted there so i counted them all uh, according to Wikipedia, because that's what I do. I aggregate Wikipedia on this podcast. Mm-hmm. My main go-to in writing the copy for these episodes. So 81 big winners, and I triple-checked this. 43 of those films were Oscar-nominated. 38 were snubbed. <laughs> you did all that research to come back and say it's a coin flip? It's a coin flip. <laughs> of those 43 Oscar-winning films, uh, or Oscar-nominated films, 19 became Oscar-winning films. Uh 18 became Best International Foreign Language Film nominees. Seven of those 43 won the Best International Feature or Foreign Language Feature. 15 Best Picture noms overall and two Best Picture wins. Those are That's the history of the Palme d'Or. Really looking forward to Tatane breaking that glass ceiling and becoming the <laughs> third Best Picture winner. Really, really hoping that happens. I can't believe Jumbo, which I saw last year about a French woman in just head over heels in lust with a carnival ride is i can't believe that is continuing with this movie apparently she's in love with every car she sits on i don't know know i'm not here to judge kinks we've all got our things and they all played out in front of massive theater audiences in Cannes this week apparently no wonder f9 had a welcome yeah there you go there you go see it all comes full circle now Mike, a hero won the Grand Prix, which is apparently the uh, runner-up. This is Oscar Farhadi of A Separation in the Salesman. He's uh, been the director of two Oscar-winning films, Best International winning films there. This is Amazon Prime, a fall stateside release. This was the film that was supposed to win. Twelve reviews, Mm -hmm. all positive, 78 Metascore. Feinberg thought it was the front-runner, Formo. Uh, he, who writes a great synopsis, by the way, on Letterboxd. He was their correspondent there for Letterboxd. He's also a Fandango. Friends of the show. That's why we're shouting them out so much throughout this uh, episode. But I, he, he says it sticks to the Farhadi formulas and rhythms. And this guy's just had that uh, you know, moral conundrum at the center of each one of his films. And a hero is yet another one of those. Yes, this, like you said, was the one that a lot of the, our critics and pundit friends uh, expected to win, at least as of yesterday. Uh, and as Scott Feinberg also said, it's something that's likely pacing the international feature field here early on. And Farhadi is no stranger to the Oscars landscape, as well as any other kind of awards industry landscape. He's a 2012 original screenplay nominee for his uh, writing in A Separation. And he's well known and well versed to all of these film festivals and major film institutions, which is why personally I thought 
a lot of people were saying that a hero was going to be a no-brainer because Oscar Verhardy is a well-known name and he's in tight with this group already. Uh, it wasn't to be, and I, you know, <laughs> what? I'm glad if we're going out on a limb. We're going out on a limb early on in the uh, the film year. Hopefully, it sets a tenor for some wild stuff and big upsets. We would love that, wouldn't we? Yeah. And we thought it was going to happen last year, but everybody was just so subdued last year mm-hmm. that you know Francis McDormand with a haircut, just admiring right. nature, was going to be <laughs> the winner. It's just we couldn't get away from it. So this year, you're right. Maybe the traditional film gets you know eschewed for the the Car Humpers uh, movie <laughs> of du jour. But it'll like, be interesting if if that if the the Tatan doesn't make the Oscars field or at least the consideration field as Francis selection because it seems like a hero's going to for Iran. You know, you would think so. You would think so based on uh, recent history. I don't know mm-hmm. how controversial he's been. I know. Right. I, I believe he has been somewhat. So that's on the one hand but they've they've also been picking him of late i know that these movies are a bit vexing from oscar Fahadi because he shows like these just staunch stubborn characters that are just immovable and they drive you up a wall so maybe a hero was a bit like that and therefore people were just like I don't know. I can't love this movie as much because it puts me through hell, so much hell. So again, mm. they just you know enjoyed the. So car let's movie. pick the one about fucking cars. Yeah, all right. <laughs> I don't know these these. Uh, I'm tired of thinking about what a terrible person I am. I just want to bang an engine. <laughs> and the stills of Tatan, just her on the front. Sick of, the of car. suppressing myself and my needs. Yeah. All right. Um. We're going to move down to the rest of the awards now. Uh, we already it's going to be this type of show, folks. <laughs> we already <laughs> talked about the reception of Ahed's knee. This is from the director of The Kindergarten Teacher and Synonyms. Ahed's knee tied Memoria for the jury prize, Michael. And in the pre-show, you actually told me, knock me over with a feather, Mike. You actually told me that you want to watch Memoria after that trailer. Based just on the trailer alone, and this is was the first time watching this trailer, I was like, oh, wow, I, I'm, I'm sad I'm not seeing this. Now, it, it's a stark contrast into what how the movie's received by a lot of critics, but on the trailer alone, I thought there was something weird, unnerving, and, and dark about uh, what's going on in Memoria, and uh, it's a credit to Tilda Swinton's writing, and I yeah, I wanted to see it. I thought it looked alluring to somebody sick and twisted like myself <laughs> so this is tilda swinton and neon and writer director former palm door winner a pitch at pong we're at the sockle uh this is his long awaited follow-up to uncle boon me who can recall his past lives so memoria basically got basically got the same tweet in its immediate reactions from all the reviewers i was following which was like this movie you know crawls along at a glacier's pace it's profound but it is boring and the trailer was kind of that way, so I, I kind of get it. And yet, this movie was alluring to you for some yeah. reason. Like I can't, I can't figure you out. I don't understand it. You like don't want to have expectations, but you do. And don't you, put me in a box. Don't put you in a box. <laughs> like a how dare I try to get make sure the box has like. many sides more than four. <laughs> Here's a question in all seriousness that in another great job, another great can by Neon and they're already tweeting their wins and all this. Totally. Should other studios bother? Like with the success Neon has at Cannes and at these major film festivals and how good they are at purchasing, like they're becoming the masters of how to play these festivals, aren't they? Well, that's the thing. Last week we were giving them a hard time for not putting Spencer, the Princess Diana, mm-hmm. Kristen Stewart movie, Pablo Lorraine movie, at Cannes and they're going to Venice with Spencer instead. And here they are with a couple of the top movies at, at, at yeah. Cannes. I mean, if we didn't mention Neon... Uh, is the Palme d'Or winning studio yet again with, with, with Tatan, and here here they are with Memoria down the card. I, I think that's a credit to, to them, and they're building up their resume, and who knows if either one of those actually make any headway in the award season push. Maybe they held back Spencer because they wanted to promote these two more. I don't know. 
I'm happy to see Tilda Swinton win because she was kind of the face of Cannes for me, this whole festival. I mean, every time you were looking on Twitter from people that were there, she was in some photo doing something, whether she was palling around with Timothy Chalamet or just giving standing ovations to different screenings or giving interviews or whatever, to announcing her new role with Bill, alongside Bill Murray and, and Wes Anderson coming up. Uh, she was kind of the face of Cannes to me, and so I expected mm-hmm. something to go her way. Uh, sure, I'm happy to see her win for this. She and her daughter are in the souvenir part two. Uh, for mm-hmm. eight twenty-four, yep. there you, you're absolutely right. It, it, it's a lot of fun to see the big stars on the red carpet at a prestige film festival. Again, it's it's great to see them interacting in front of the paparazzi. That's why it was kind of adorable to watch, uh, you know, Timothy and her canoodling throughout the <laughs> festival there. And, and yeah, make a baby, you two. <laughs> that I mean, obviously the meme it was all over Twitter. I think we all got sick of it by the end. Uh, I think uh, we, we had fun with it, too much fun. Now we're embarrassed at how much fun we had with that photo, Eric Anderson. Uh, and uh, here we are today embarrassed mm-hmm. that we did. <laughs> so we'll get to more of that with the French Dispatch. But, Michael, uh, moving down this list, we have Best Director going to Leo Carax. I don't know. We all should have known. Thing. Like, if, if we once can try to tell us it was going to be weird because once Annette – Got the reception it did, and everyone was talking about how wonderful it is. Yeah, yeah. Like, usually that doesn't follow with the phrase, oh, by the way, the centerpiece of this is Kylo Ren eating a vagina right. and singing twice. I was That not, usually doesn't happen. I was not being a jerk when I said that this festival is a playground for perverts. Uh, <laughs> I was just <laughs> reacting to the reactions like i said we we're gonna do at the beginning of the show because yeah we talked a lot about how adam driver and annette will go down in history yeah because yeah that was the craziest uh first reaction t- set of tweets that we've ever seen coming out of annette so of course he wins best director and and everybody was talking about this movie has no plot it's just three hours of you know songs that are just like Broken oh, records. Me. I mean, if we're it, getting into surrealist cinema, if that's going to be mainstream from now on, like, and we're all just going to kneel at the altar of David Lynch from here on out, I'm here for it, man. Just put it in my veins. It's just a year, a delay. We thought it was last year. It's this year. Here it comes. If I need to sit through a five-hour screening of something that makes no coherent sense whatsoever and is just stuffed with the most specific subtext that somebody could think of, I'm there, man. <laughs> I want to walk out being able to smell colors. You understand? <laughs> After basically watching porn as well. I mean, if it's all yeah, pornographic right, right. during the fact. <laughs> right. Uh, and if I see a couple genitals along the way, so be it. So be it. Uh, we'll get serious for a second because this movie is rather serious. We, we actually didn't really cover it because it's so gosh darn serious. Uh, best actor went to Caleb Landry Jones, who's, of course, the the young guy who gets beat up in three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri, who's in the Florida project, who's in like every movie of our first two years of this podcast, Michael. So it's cool to see him winning a prestigious award. We said he was, you know, on the rise for a while, but he's, he won for his, his leading actor of a, of a, you know, the, for the massacre of Nitrom and the movie Nitrom got a lot of negative responses that were loud on Twitter. I would say, but I think when you look at the reviews, 83% positive on six reviews. By the way, Rotten Tomatoes, that's mathematically impossible, but fine. I got more to say to them as this episode goes on as well. I'm glad you started it. (laughs) Caleb Landry Jones opposite Essie Davis, uh, and Essie Davis is wearing a lot of makeup in that Mm -hmm. trailer, Mike. So I thought this was actually one of the better trailers I saw for anything. Period coming out of can. Never mind liking a trailer that other people didn't, which was with Memoria. But I, I, I really like this trailer. But I'm also again a, a dark, twisted human being who has let his own hair grow too long and cover his own face. So, so there's all you need to know about me. But I, I thought this was an alluring story mm. as far as the meta-ness of Caleb Landry Jones winning. So this was the other category that best picture. Everyone thought it was going to be a hero, and everyone thought I forget who the other guy was. But Simon everyone, Rex was supposed to okay. win this from Red Rocket. Yeah. Okay. Yes, that's yes the Red Rocket. Yeah, the, which again is a 
porn movie. But anyway, <laughs> Simon Rex from Red Rocket, everyone figured was going to win this. And it wasn't until this morning when the red carpet stuff started happening. And, and props to Eric Anderson. He was the first one to point this out and get on it. And I saw on Twitter and he was making a point to say that Caleb Landry Jones showed up at the red carpet. And he wasn't expected to be there. At least it, that's how it sounded. And because he was there, he, he kind of presumed that Caleb Landry Jones was going to win Best Actress mm-hmm. based on what he was hearing. Mm-hmm. That's when the tide started to shift. So I, I think there was... I, 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 listen, for me personally, for Mike One, and I know this uh, uh, goes to you as well, but far be it for me to, especially in this condition, talking about wanting to smell colors that I ever speak for you. But the reason I love awards so much is because of the upsets and the unexpected and things that come from out of nowhere and, and rewarding something that's a little off color and off base. So right. I love seeing this shit happen. Uh, for Nitram itself, I think all it does for me is make me more likely to see this movie, which I don't know that I would have had the trailer not been so alluring in the first place. If this was just a paint-by-numbers trailer for this type of movie, this the same way kind of we need to talk about Kevin's trailer was done years and years ago, I don't know that that alone would be enough to make me see it as soon as it comes out. Now, seeing this trailer to cut it the way it was, seeing Caleb Landry Jones get rewarded the way he has, I'm more likely to see it right away. Hmm. So uh, I'm afraid of you and yep. uh, this movie, Proper. and I feel Proper. like yeah. exactly the opposite for... All the reasons you mentioned, uh, <laughs> but the upset, the upset of Caleb Landry Jones sure, winning sure. has to be exciting to you. I mean, especially like you just said, it's a guy that we've talked about on this show for years already. I don't think that lipstick matches Essie Davis's face. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> it's a little unsettling. I tried, Caleb. I tried. <laughs> it's a little unsettling. Uh, you're not going to get me to agree, but uh, I'm fascinated that you're fascinated and I'm backing away slowly. See, aren't you glad I didn't speak for you then? (laughs) Thank you. Uh, I am intrigued by this next uh, winner at the Cannes Film Festival. This is uh, The Worst Person in the World. That's the title of the movie. I hated this preview, this whatever clip, by the way. So So, I'm not just all positive today. I I forgot to watch it. Sorry, guys. But uh, Renata Reinsliv? Okay, we're going to pronounce her name correctly as we go. because Reinsliv? She's Reinsliv. She's crushing it. But this is Norway, uh, most likely their Oscar submission at the end of the day, according to all the the pundits who saw it. They they think this is a knockout, 100% on 15 reviews. This is Joachim Trier, who I thought did a great job with Thelma, which was kind of this horror-adjacent film from a few years back. Um, I think it's on Hulu right now. And then Oslo, August 31st. Uh, this is Anders Danielson Lee, a f- personal shopper, uh, who's also going to be in another movie at Cannes. And again, Mike Neon here buys it at the festival, the worst person in the world. I want to be in the room when Netflix is deciding what to buy, when a smaller studio like Neon is deciding what to buy. I just want to hear how these things are pitched to the actual, to the higher ups and how they get the okay. Um, I don't have a lot on this particular title uh, i like i was not a fan of the preview slash clip that's out there on youtube right now uh i know as far as put, putting my ear to the ground i know there were a lot of pundits uh who not necessarily picked this to win the palm but said oh i could see this winning i wouldn't be surprised if the worst person in the world win i wouldn't be surprised if it won maybe two awards two of the major awards of the night blah 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 so i I expected it to do well and be well-received. It is exactly that if you go by the numbers and the review sites, which is, again, something we're going to touch on later on. But, uh, yeah, I don't I don't really have that much other than I don't know that I'm, in terms of listing the power rankings of what I want to get to first, I don't know mm-hmm. that this would be in my top five or so. People seem to be pleasantly surprised by it, though. They, they expected, mm-hmm. like, a character study about, uh, you know, someone who's completely selfish and self-absorbed and actually you end up rooting for her in the end. So that was maybe that's why I don't want to see it. I don't need to, you know. I I've seen mirrors before. <laughs> I didn't say anything. Uh, this was not edited. Uh, that's really funny. It made me laugh hard, almost as hard as before uh, when I was watching this award show. But Michael, okay, best screenplay went to Drive My Car, Ryosuke uh, Hamaguchi, and. This is Japan's entry, uh, Shining Star, from the Cannes Film Festival, 100% 12 reviews, 85 Metascore, one of the highest Metascores of the festival, and this is a three-hour movie. Yeah, the plot premise for this one, Nishijima Hidetoshi, uh, my apologies if I mispronounced that, as a stage actor and director happily married to his playwright wife, then one day the wife disappears. Mm. I can only imagine this is a remake of The Simple Favor that I just actually watched recently. I'm, I'm joking, that, that movie. <laughs> 
was something else. Uh, the Queer Palm Award went to The Divide by Catherine Corsini. That synopsis reads, Two women on the verge of a breakup in a hospital are further stressed on the night of a big demonstration by the overwhelmed staff and by angry, injured protesters who land up besieging the building. Huh. Good God. Yeah, so that was one of the later screenings, I think. And, and yeah, I, I was watching the the reviews come out for The Divide and a, a bit lower of a meta score than you'd want. Uh, some some audience scores that weren't great so maybe maybe this one vexes some people as well but you know i mean once all the critics get a hold of something if it's awarded here you never know uh mike uncertain regard which of course is french for a finite amount of fucking applause <laughs> like that joke uh that's good i like that that's good that's good well done uh, clap happy freaks uh <laughs> This was the Friday Night Award and uh, Unclenching the Fists, a Russian drama. Uh, a couple Russian dramas at this festival, but this was from writer-director Kira Kovalenko. Uh, plot premise for Unclenching the Fists reads, In a former mining town, a young woman struggles to escape the stifling hold of a family she loves as much as she rejects. Sounds like everybody's family. Not going to watch that one either because, again, I've seen mirrors. <laughs> Great Freedom, <laughs> Bonamere, La Civile, and Michael, I want to talk about this other winner of uh, the Uncertain Regard section lamb because my god this trailer from a24 in iceland and knew me rapace yeah um <laughs> you said that this is either going to be hilarious or heartbreaking and i just want to go on record mm-hmm. you could be right or but both? i gotta tell it you might be both sure sure <laughs> sure <laughs> but i gotta tell you mm-hmm. the reviews i've seen do not and let me repeat and restress that like a grandpa with hearing aids do not suggest that this one is bringing the laughter uh no. even in an in unintentionally funny way so it's funny to us because we're evil and we don't loop me into your wrongness I think here it's about something else so i in my brain it's about something silly cheap fucking and in my brain because of the rest of this festival it's not my fault it's not my fault can't can has set a precedent for various levels of sexual perversion at this particular festival. So I'm only, my brain is only going to the next step here, Michael. Just take out the middleman and have the sheep fuck the car, is our suggestion. <laughs> take out the man, exactly. The middleman. Uh, Lamb I'm is so probably sorry not everybody. funny at all. Uh, A24 is behind it. Numi Rapace is one of my favorite actresses. She's the star of it. And this trailer does not look funny unless you're thinking what I'm thinking. And then it's hilarious. Michael. You had that take and you just jumped me in there so quickly. Michael, nod your head. Let's move on. We all feel this way. We here at Mike, Mike, and Oscar. Uh, let's talk about let's talk about some standing ovation numbers. Personally, my favorite part of yeah. the can in any film festival. Um, we had uh, a smattering, nothing that lives up to the historic highs that the Pan's Labyrinths and the Fahrenheit 911s and and Mud would give us. That uh, I, as soon as I saw, I forget which movie it was, but as soon as one of them was clocked with their standing ovation that qz.com article everybody was retweeting including us we were no different uh but all that information of the historically long standing ovations and their times is in this article on qz.com uh pan's labyrinth apparently holds the record at 22 minutes fahrenheit 911 went for 20 mud went for 18 neon demon 17 good god the longest one we had at this year's can was compartment number six which lasted a whole 10 minutes. The French Dispatch went nine, Red Rocket went five, and that went five. Mike, obviously the question is one, how do we get to be the official timekeepers of this? Because this is truly what I care. I'm not being ironic or funny. I care deeply about how long the longest standing ovation is at any Cannes Film Festival, for one. And for two, how long do you think you personally could start clapping uninterrupted, 
before you felt like something else needed to happen. Well, that's why we need to become the official timekeepers mm-hmm. because of the second part of your two-part mm-hmm. question there because neither one of us can clap for that long. You said it at the end of the last episode. It's impossible. Our, <laughs> our hands would hurt. Your hands would break. You're made of glass. <laughs> yes. I am great My with My hands a already hurt doing this. Yeah, but I'm great with a stopwatch. I will split mm. like mm. the Dr. Evil thing. <laughs> mm. Like that part, I will split it perfectly and I will have... Uh, an exact uh, account of the right. applause in this room. I yeah. will get it to at least one decimal place. It won't be this inexact right. nonsense right. of just minutes. Who keeps time that way? I mean, this is the continent where the Olympics were formed. <laughs> and here we just tabulate shit in minutes. Are you kidding me? I mean, I'll get an FAT uh, timing system up there and be ready for two decimal places if you need. Yes. What are they doing? And I want to see it. We should, there should be a wholesale on IMDb or some kind of warehouse where all of these are kept in a list. That's right. Like, Like a baseball reference type list where I can just go in and see, you know, oh, the French Dispatch had a longer standing ovation than, you know, something else. Did compartment number six have a longer standing ovation than the Beaver? They're both listed at 10 minutes. Who knows? I want that. Yeah, we need that for we sure. We need exactitude in, in the canned standing ovations. We need them to make this more into a battle of the bands. And yes. we, we need the egos to be running wild with the mm-hmm. fact that you have to keep it going, even if no, if you want to stop. You're smoking cigarettes. You don't even right. smoke. And what are the ground rules? Like, what what constitutes a, a prolonged standing ovation? Do you need more than half the crowd? Is it ju- is it the Orson Welles thing where the one guy just refuses to sit down because he's trying to sleep with somebody in the cast and he wants to show his? You know, like we need all of that to be figured out, and we humbly submit ourselves to the festivals they can to to be the two people to do that and figure that all out for everyone because it's what the public demands. It, it is what we demand, mm-hmm. and somehow the public will. <laughs> will uh come along in the way you spoke for me when you were wrong in the last <laughs> section we are now speaking for the public that's right and being wrong about them in this one yeah in all serious now i want to end like uh this halfway point with some cool stuff because you tweeted or you retweeted jim cummings who he's the director and star of the wolf of snow hollow and and, and some other films that we've we reviewed here Michael, he said, quote, multiple films got into can with cameras you can buy at Best Buy. The future is now. Make something great. And he had this big chart of where all of all the cameras that filmed all these movies at, at the festival. And they are accessible to the average person, which is the How coolest cool is thing that? in the that's, world. That's, yeah. I think that's just incredibly inspiring and motivating and just the dopest that that we're in this truly golden age of filmmaking and that even the most guerrilla style filmmaking can look so professional obviously i I mean the the technology is out there and it's gotten to a place where it's relatively affordable i mean obviously i'm speaking from a a place of privilege i know not everyone has the 800 500 to drop on a camera but I, i mean the fact that the tools of the trade here were once thought to be so unobtainable that you had to know a production company or get them licensing or something, some kind of, that's not the case anymore. That's really, really cool. And the more accessible you make the world of film and it has a ways to go, but the more accessible it becomes, the better it's going to be for the world of film at large. That is one of the more optimistic tweets in a long damn time on film Twitter. So I applaud Jim Cummings and uh, I applaud you for finding it, Michael. So let's move on into the kind of the rest of the slate, or at least the notable films where we kind of tracked some of their receptions uh, that, that may not have won awards, but may factor in very much so to the Oscar race. So this is like the Oscar films that I, I want us to pay attention to. Of course, the first is the French dispatch this is Wes Anderson. This is 88% on Rotten Tomatoes, 23 out of 26 fresh reviews, 82 Metascore, 7.7 IMDb score. And Michael, some of these reviews, charming, uh, a salute to old school journalism. Uh, the movie works and fits and starts. Small doses of wit and wonder about odd people and places. All that's from Eric Cohen at IndieWire. What, what, what's your take on the reception of the French Dispatch? 
Uh, my take is a lot of people are really trying to, to me to say a lot of nice things about it while also keeping away from saying that this is something that's going to blow anyone away. Huh. And I think that kind and I'm not I don't mean that to speak pejoratively. I just mean that in the sense of is the French dispatch going to be a best picture player? Um, I, I, I never I shouldn't say never. I in the last few months especially have started cooling heavily on the idea that this one is going to be a major player for the top of the line ca- uh, categories at the Oscars and every review I saw has kind of reinforced that idea to me in that it's going to be something very worthwhile. It's going it's a Wes Anderson project. It's going to be a fun watch. You're going to be entertained. But in terms of Oscars punditry that we do here to me, I get reinforced with the idea that this is going to be something that contends for cinematography, production design. It probably, it may not rise to that level of the above the line, big six, big eight categories that we always talk about, which doesn't mean it's not worthwhile and doesn't mean it's not worthy of watching, but I'm, I'm just separating the, the fervor that people had for this as a serious awards contender. I don't get that impression after people have seen the movie. Yeah, Brian Formo seemed to be with you there and that, that you can be overwhelmed by the kind of sprawling nature of it. Nan Thompson was saying something similar, but this is the best-looking Wes Anderson film uh, that he's mm-hmm. ever made. And Ann Thompson was like, Oscars are going to focus on its crafts. That was her headline. Jazz Tanke uh, was reacting to all these uh, reviews. And she's like, I can't wait to get my hands on it. This sounds like craft heaven. And uh, so we're looking forward to the film from Wes Anderson because we're Wes Anderson's fans Mm -hmm. uh, for certain. But you're probably right. Like if this movie was going to be the no brainer, best picture contender, maybe Focus Features releases it last year in a more mm. art film-centric year. Uh, maybe maybe Wes Anderson's 10th would have been a perfect tribute in kind of a, a, a year that didn't have the obvious Best Picture winner in it. I mean, that could have been, you know, that, that narrative spoke for itself last year. But here we have it being a can holdout where it's called The French Bis- Dispatch. He is such a Francophile you know, mm-hmm. one of the most famous Francophiles on the planet, Wes Anderson. Uh, he took one po- uh, photo, and it's a meme now. Michael, <laughs> I think he wanted to come here a lot, but we we just saw a year where the studios kind of bucked against what their, <laughs> you know, auteurs and directors wanted to do, no matter what they said uh, after a certain amount of time. So this is this is interesting that Focus made these decisions to bring it to Cannes, and here we go with its awards candidacy on like a tepid note, I would say. Yeah, it feels like we're like another movie away from having a Wes Anderson Oscar monster. Mm-hmm. And I mean, the, the I don't say that just because of the photo and the introdu- and the announcement that he's going to shoot a new movie in Spain with Tilda Swinton and Bill Murray. And it, it just, it feels like, I, I, I never got the impression, oh, I didn't really get a strong impression, that the anthology movie that serves as an ode to journalism starring 87 lists of people that Wes Anderson has ever worked with is going to be a huge awards player. Right. It makes some sense at the end of the day. And, you know, you, we, you, you said it from the trailer uh, stage when we reviewed it last spring, was it, for Christ's sake, when we reviewed mm-hmm. the, the French Dispatch trailer last, last spring, that this seems like a bit of a bit of a, a messy trailer at the very least. So, I mean, I just watched it before Pig, uh, and it's still, yeah, it, it struck me as a little bit messy and sprawling. And there, there's not a through line in the trailer, for Christ's sake. So, yeah, yeah, that's usually a bit of a warning sign for, again, we're, we're talking about the creme de la creme. We always are. Yeah, we're, we're, it's just, we're talking about his Oscars pundits. I mean, we're going to see it. We're going to no see doubt. it. We can't wait to see it. We'll review it. Michael, the next movie here that got a lot of buzz is Red Rocket. This is Sean Baker of the Florida Project. This is A24, like we said earlier. Simon Rex, he has the narrative. He has uh, a lot of best actor momentum, according to Scott Feinberg, uh, along with his co-star Susanna Sun in this film, The Red, uh, Red Rocket. Classic Baker, says Brian Formo. Maybe this, maybe this is A24's movie this year. 100% on Rotten Tomatoes, 16 reviews, 78 Metascore. Yeah, I didn't see a single negative reaction or review written about this movie. 
and the early Rotten Tomatoes score there of 100% would go in line with that. But it also shines a light, and I've been teasing, I'm going to take a shot at Rotten Tomatoes uh, all episode. It shines a light on the issue I have with Rotten Tomatoes in that if the tomato meter is truly it's worth seeing yes or it's not worth seeing no, thumbs up, thumbs down type threshold thing, Mm -hmm. even in the early review stages, there's no way a Wes Anderson movie isn't a hundred percent right yeah <laughs> like compared to the field this one's got a hundred percent the the one about the retired porn star going home and making good but the giant wes anderson movie starring every movie star that you've ever known or seen on film isn't that doesn't make sense i, I don't understand and may it's kind of unfair for wes anderson to be held to the same standard and even in the way we're going to talk about red rocket i think it's unfair for for wes anderson because he's wes anderson to be held to the standard of talking about it negatively in terms of the oscars whereas this one is it's a positive but it's got a higher score which i i don't know it, it, that there's something that doesn't equal out it doesn't balance out to me about those being held on the same playing field and having the numbers they do even this early on it forces these pr companies at these studios mike to do things they probably wouldn't otherwise want to do mm-hmm. and it forces them to you know, to give movies to people who are probably going to be more receptive and, you know, to an easier audience out the box because you're trying to sell the film and that percentage score means a lot. And therefore, you got to be confident that it's going to do well at a festival if you're going to release it at the festival. And here we go. I mean, just on and on and on. It it, it puts a lot of pressure on a movie like this. And, and I'm glad this movie landed. Same. At the same time, you almost worry about journalists who are, they're also, they also feel pressured. I mean, can they give their honest review? I mean, we we Mm -hmm. wind up seeing a lot of these movies, especially later, uh, or when when we do see them later and we don't get the screener, we don't, you know, go to the festival and we're like, what the fuck were they smoking? I want some. (laughs) I want some. And... (laughs) Yeah, I've, I've I've noticed that a lot in the history of our podcast. So that's why we you know we take these with a grain of salt, and we're we're glad for the film promotion side of things. But there does need to be a distinction between film journalism and film promotion, and that mm. distinction is blurred because of the Rotten Tomatoes conundrum, as you just said. I mean, it really is something that governs movie going right now, right? And it's not fair with the way movies have to roll out. Yeah, I, I, I agree. And I don't mean to take anything away from Red Rocket, and I do hope it's an awards player. I, Boy, I don't know that it's going to be. I mean, that seems like a tough tough hill to climb for something for such a small movie, but Sean Baker has a bit of a cachet right now to his name, and, mm-hmm. and he's flirted with the Oscars already, so it's possible. It's got a tall hill to climb, as any of these movies do, coming out. Uh, again, against the slate that's coming out in the fall and the winter months here, but we'll see. We shall see, and I'm not going to make any more jokes. Michael, Bergman... Who's your favorite male porn star who retired? <laughs> now, go ahead. Bergman Island. <laughs> finally, a movie... No, this still had boobies in the trailer, too. I can't even I can't even say, finally, a movie, just the normal, schmo, regular, everyday movie. No, this is, uh, this is basically scenes of a marriage kind of redux... Ann Thompson, one of her favorites uh, from the Cannes Film Festival. Uh, this is IFC Films. Brian Formal on Letterbox uh, is a fan yeah. as well. So yeah. we reviewed this trailer. Mia Wasikowska, Daniel Sin Lee. Uh, this is Tim Roth and Vicky Crepes. And they're going to be arguing a lot. And, and they're going to be dancing and they're going to be naked. Yeah. yeah. Hey, you remember, uh, <laughs> remember when Tim Roth was in that Fox show, Lie to Me? Yeah. My brother Schmave loved that show. And uh that's that's all I got for Bergman Island anymore. Like I even for this an Oscars podcast, uh-huh. we're getting to the point where we have re- previewed Bergman Island Multiple more times, than yeah. we've talked about something like A Quiet Place Two or Fast Nine. Mm-hmm. I can't live with myself with that being true. <laughs> So I'm not going to do that to myself. <laughs> I'll talk about Bergman Island again after I see it. We will see it. We want to see it. That's that's the cool thing about sure, festivals like sure. This. So they, they they did that to us. Uh, another movie that got us intrigued, and I we talked about it. Ten minutes standing ovation is Compartment Number Six. 
this trailer was interesting. I, I heard people talk about it as like the before trilogy, uh, the uh, you know Ethan Hawke trilogy there, and its plot premise is kind of two strangers share a journey that will change their perspective on life, which is exactly what the before trilogy was, Michael, as a train <laughs> weaves its way up to the Arctic Circle. Aha, we got a unique spin on it. Sony Pictures Classics picked compartment number six up just because they loved it at the festival, another good sign. So this movie seemed to be the pleasant surprise of it all. Tell me how this isn't Strangers on a Train meets Snowpiercer. <laughs> because it's not... I said Tim They Roth. get off in the Arctic no, Circle and no, they kill each no. other's lovers. Stop it. You don't know. <laughs> if it winds up being... This is why we shouldn't have done this episode. <laughs> You're just going to be like, yeah, lie to me. Oh, yeah. Tim Roth oh, yeah. network television Listen. show that nobody's fucking seen. <laughs> I'm going to mention it when I mentioned Bergman Island. Here I am. Now, here's, on a, here's two more train movies. <laughs> you know, at, they're on a train. Here's two more train No, movies. it says there's two strangers that meet on a train and are going to the Arctic. That's where Snowpiercer lived. And every every December, he'd come down and check on the children. Wasn't um, wasn't Nicole Kidman and Nicolas Cage involved with a train movie recently? Maybe they're in. Tom Hanks, he he was in a cartoon train movie once. Thomas um, the Tank Engine. Next movie, please. <laughs> yeah, we're getting to a point where uh, I don't have a lot on these movies, people. <laughs> Mothering Sunday, Michael. Mothering Sunday. We we previewed this. This seems like. This seems like a World War One Downton Abbey type movie, right? When we previewed it, this is Josh O'Connor of The Crown. This is Odessa Young of Shirley. Colin Firth, Olivia Coleman, Lionsgate produced it. Uh, it got bought. Excuse me, it got bought by Sony's Pictures Classics, hundred percent. And even this movie <laughs> said to be steamy. They're naked the whole time. Every interview of the movie was like, "What did it feel like to be naked on screen for the entire film?" Uh, <laughs> Here I thought we could get out of the gutter, but no, we can't. No, no. Why start now, though? Uh, <laughs> we have an animated film next. Maybe there's no nudity in the animated film? Well, I'd hope there's not a lot of nudity in the movie called Where is Anne Frank? Please. But yeah. Uh, <laughs> Kitty, the imaginary girl to whom Anne Frank wrote her famous diary, comes to life in the Anne Frank house in Amsterdam. Her memories reawakened by reading the diary, believing that if she's alive, Anne must be alive as well. She sets out on a quest to find Anne. We follow Kitty as she travels across Europe and back to Anne Frank's time, armed with the precious book in search of her beloved friend. So something that could contend, I guess. I mean, it's certainly uh, it's, it's a well-known story and it's something that's quite relevant always. I like the trailer for this, uh, for Belle, which is a Beauty and the Beast uh, anime film. Basically, the Beauty mm -hmm. and the Beast story. So two, again, animated feature this year is going to be a category that might be more competitive than we think. Because of Flea, because of Where is Anne Frank and Belle. Uh, going up against these big budget, you know, American crowd pleasers. Who, who's going to win out? The the art films with a spin on the Diary of Anne Frank's story. You know, kind of a wish fulfillment version of. I mean, that that's that's a, a beautiful uh, idea. So uh, mm, this yeah, trailer, sure. this trailer was was you know wonderful animation. So yeah, I mean, I think uh, I think that's going to be something new for us, Michael, because we really we've had years of Pixar, we've had years of Sony versus Netflix versus right. We we haven't had a year of art film versus crowd pleaser yet. It's still going to be. I mean, they have to go up against Encanto, which is going to be the heavy favorite, regardless. I would think, mm. uh, unless something wildly different happens with the Disney animated feature. But Disney animated studios isn't as strong in terms of Oscar contendership lately uh, as uh, as Pixar has been historically. So, so I, I think the last movie I want to shine a big spotlight in terms of the received very well category here is After Yang. This is eight twenty four. Colin Farrell, Jodie Turner Smith, Koganada, his follow up to Columbus. In a near future, a family reckons with questions of love, connection, and loss. After their AI helper unexpectedly breaks down, apparently uh, we have some side stories that are interesting here about Joni Turner-Smith getting her family heirloom stolen uh, at, at the hotel she was staying at, which is terrible. But everybody seemed to love her film after Yang. 
yeah, and that's one of the ones we did uh, that stuck out to me in previewing going into the Cannes Film Festival. It's another one that, to me, doesn't... I mean, if I hear AI helper, it doesn't exactly strike the uh, type of tenor that I would expect to see at the Cannes Film Festival. So I don't know if Cannes kind of went out of their way to, in, in terms of making up for last year to get more a wide swath of, of genres, type of yeah. picture in. Yeah, more genres and genre films in. Well, they might have um, overcorrected with the car fucking movie. I'm just... <laughs> <laughs> Perhaps. Just... And if you get to car fuckville, you know you've gone too far. <laughs> Mayhaps. We got a little eclectic. You turn the car around at that point, see? <laughs> we got all these uh, genre filmmakers in the jury this year to hopefully <laughs> broaden cinema. It wasn't all happiness and good times for every movie that was uh, debuted here at Cannes. There were a lot of big titles, or a smattering of big titles, I should say, that were kind of middling to disappointingly received, uh, I think is a fair way to put it. Maybe the biggest of which, and the most polarizing of which, I think might be Blue Bayou. I don't know if you have anything you want to kind of throw in there, Mike, about Blue Bayou. Feinberg was like it could go either way come award season. So I, I yeah, I mean we're not going to dwell on these. I think uh, Blue Bayou, it could you know the fact that some people like it and the fact that uh, he's holding out hope that it could still do well for focus features. I don't know. It was a warning flag when it didn't get into competition and it was in in certain regard and then it didn't win in certain regards. So that strikes me a little bit. Knows, yeah, for those though. who don't who don't follow us on Twitter, I tweeted this, but and I, this is why I wanted to make a point of Blue Bayou. Uh, I saw blue checkmark critics I respect saying they wanted to walk out in the final 40 minutes of that movie. Huh. I saw blue checkmark critics I respect saying that it's a surefire Oscars contender. Right, so right. Uh, widely, widely diverse range of, uh, of reactions there to Blue Bayou. Flag Day, Stillwater, and Benedetta are, are all kind of uh, movies we've previewed and talked about that we kind of expected to be received probably more middling or more averagely than others for one reason or another. Anything stick out to you amongst those three, Mike? Ann Thompson called Stillwater a turducken of a movie because it was like three <laughs> movies that rolled into one. Uh, Flag Day. Some people were like, how did this get a competition spot? I think that was, you know, Formo. And then, and yet, Owen Gleiberman at a variety was like, this is one of Sean Penn's best movies. And he's made some really good movies, Into the Wild and uh, if the Jack Nicholson movie that's escaping me right now. And then, yeah, Benedetta, Formo was like, this is going to burn film Twitter down. <laughs> I can't wait to see it. Somebody, somebody pointed out that the nun from The Devils is cheering on LeBron and Space Jam 2 on the sidelines. The Nun from the Devils? The WB movie, The Devils? Yeah. I did not look into the... That movie, we're going <laughs> to... All right. So there's two movies that came out this weekend, Michael. Space Jam and Pig, as we... This ha, ham-handed... Yeah. Uh, fucking transition here. You know, Segway doesn't have the word way in it? I didn't realize that until like a couple months ago. Is it uh, Q-U-E or G-U-E? Wow. Isn't it just... Yeah, it's, it's, it's S-E-G-U-E. That is very weird. And it's all Sigu. Sigu. We probably mm. pronounced it in the past like a bunch of rubes <laughs> as Sigu. So to Sigu here, mm-hmm. uh, Space Jam A New Legacy might be the worst <laughs> film of the year. <laughs> I think it's just absurd that you make a movie about uh, basketball and video games and it's just two hours. And it's a full two hours, Mike, of just infomercials about... WB properties, Harry Potter and DCEU. And, and, and they, it's the idea is in the right place in that everybody uh, loves nostalgia and cinematic universes. Uh, the execution, I have not seen it yet, but I could see. I mean, Ready Player One tried to do the same thing. There's the Ready Player One way of doing it, and then there's the Wreck It Ralph way of doing it. Like, when you try to integrate established properties as a cash grab, if you don't give them any characterization, then it's just a cash grab. Like, not even thinly veiling it. I didn't expect shapes Shakespeare or Titan from this movie, Mike. And I'm glad it's going to do well at the box office because I hope kids like it. But I wish they turned this into 75,000 TikToks and just left me and my childhood alone. Because- well, okay. Let me let me let me pry into your childhood a bit here mm-hmm, in mm-hmm. in defense of Space Jam Two, which I have not seen. <laughs> When's the last time you watched Space Jam One? I watched Space Jam 1 uh, probably seven or eight years ago, and it's not good. 
It's not good. It's, it's, that's, that's where I'm going with this. Michael it's not Jordan good. <laughs> is a terrible actor. One of the worst. Okay, and that's the follow-up. LeBron's you better. tweeted today that LeBron is a better actor than Michael yes, Jordan. I mean, come on. Michael Jordan's not a good actor, but was LeBron markedly better? Markedly better, but they really? also like just made him a cartoon for 40 minutes um, and yeah, just went true. around to that's every true. single WB property. Mm. I just totally had a seizure and woke up like an hour later. I and the movie was still in the same. Did they do sequence. anything? Was like Tweety Bird like trying to get out of the 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 Bane cave in the Dark Knight? It's just <laughs> mind blowing. Uh, they're, they're trying to repopularize the Looney Tunes, and it's not yeah. working. That this it's, WB tries to do that like once every decade, and it just doesn't. It it's, never catches on. It's a sign of the apocalypse. A space, mm. a space Jam, a new legacy. Look, if your kids want to watch it, let them watch it on HBO Max. Go to the movie theaters and go to Pig. Can we, can we segue to Pig? Because I'm glad. Again, I'm glad Space Jam's going to make 32 million. Yada yada yada. Box office highest highest grossing family film opening uh, since go. the pandemic. Happy. Yep. Go see Pig instead if you're one of our listeners. Uh, this is Nicolas Cage. Uh, just being, like, subdued. I, everybody was talking about this is Nicolas Cage's best performance. I just flat-out disagree. However, <laughs> however, it's a it's a strong movie. It's, it's normal Nicolas Cage. He gets manic, like, once or twice where he's just, like, screaming. And it's kind of ironic because he plays this hermit who will tell you the world is ending every chance he gets. So it's mm-hmm. ironic that this is his most grounded and subdued character in decades. Uh, but look, you just I, made a differentiation between normal Nick Cage and manic Nick Cage, as if those are two distinct individual things. Yeah. So this is uh, this is almost like people criticize Jim Carrey, right? There's Jim Carrey mm, to okay. ten, and there's Jim Carrey at three. Like gotcha. I see all the hallmark, all the hallmarks of manic, crazy Nick Cage. It's just dialed back down and it's just it's just like the volume lever on the performance i would say because this isn't his the number 20 pig movie i thought i i enjoyed this story i enjoyed full like 30 minute sequences of pig i i, I would i will honestly say that the be, the middle of the movie is complete utter nonsense there's a sequence in the middle of the movie that almost ruins the entire thing it has nothing to do with the rest of this realistic drama of the rest of this enjoyable story hmm. and that's that's what holds this movie back from being what i thought was going to be a b plus a minus and what a lot of people were saying on film twitter so i'm giving it a low b it's still a very positive grade i could have done without a middle 20 minutes there hmm Interesting. So, uh, all in all, it's, it settles at, at a B, you said. Yeah, it's a low B, I would say, because the highs are very high. And it's a good movie if you have pets. Uh, it's a good movie if you like the woods, if you like the Pacific Northwest, if you like to watch a, a meal being prepared and then a meal being eaten, which is, of course, one of my favorite pastimes. There's a lot of those cinematic goods delivered, Mike. And then this is neon. So this is well-composed, well-paced film, I thought, in Pig. Getting a little tired of Neon doing so well with everything. (laughs) (laughs) So what a weird-ass episode this was. My God. I just wanted to make mention here. It's something I saw in passing, so I didn't mention it at the top of the show when we were talking about the uh, Titan win, but looking it up now after an awkward edit there. uh, Julia Ducranau is only the second female to ever win the Palme d'Or, the second female filmmaker to ever win the Palme d'Or. The only other one was... Uh, Jane Campion, who's someone we've also talked about here plenty of times, and has piano. her own yeah. movie coming up uh, for doing so for the piano, like Mike just said, back in the early 90s. So, uh, you know, great job. What the hell took you so long? Why is it only two? How is that? To, that that, that can, yeah. Yeah, Christ's sake. Oh, thanks for. Uh... <laughs> it's not your fault. <laughs> really bringing down the mood here. Yeah, you got, we, got, we got to put a, yeah, a wet blanket. <laughs> Around our heads at the end. We're like the end of a Yorgos Lanthimos movie here. Every episode of Mike, Mike, and Oscar. Thanks. Come come for the, the Ken retrospective. Stay for the fat perverts. <laughs> Stay with the fat perverts, I guess. That's, I don't know. I mean, we're, and then we always talk over each other and, and rewrite each other in the process. My God. Uh, hey, dear listener. What matters most... <laughs> Speaking of segues. Speaking of self-promotion time. What's that? Segway? Sure, I'll take one. Want to know what you guys thought uh, with 
all of what happened on the can stage, uh, Spike Lee included. Uh, did you have a laughing fit like Mike and myself did? Did you think the right film won, or were you rooting for something else? And I want to hear your thoughts, comments, questions, concerns about not only that, but anything else that we do here in the MMO Empire. You can leave us all of those on our social medias, as always. We are Mike, Mike, and Oscar on Facebook and Instagram, at MM and Oscar on Twitter, Mike, Mike, and Oscar at gmail.com.com, and on Reddit. We are available everywhere you hear podcasts. And if you're listening to us on the Apple Podcast app, if you would be so kind as to go into that app and leave us a five-star review that would truly make our day thank you to each and every one of you who have done so already michael what is coming next and what are some words of wisdom that we can go out on here Uh, tiff venice new york uh if you enjoyed (laughs) slash tolerated this episode on the Cannes film festival maybe you'll be into uh future oscar race checkpoint shows where we'll be going over those announcements of the rest of their film festival slates that should be happening soon i I look back to 2019 and at the end of july early august those uh slates begin to form up they have press conferences etc so we're excited about the fall film festivals hopefully we'll be able to partake like we did last year michael Uh, Mm -hmm. otherwise we're going to pick and choose some movies to review no promises i know we said old perhaps i know we said uh some movies coming up maybe some of these films from the Cannes film festival like annette like Stillwater, we'll see. They're coming out soon. Like Val, uh, we Memoria. made... Memoria. Memoria. Oh, God. <laughs> Why did I not just talk over you and let it go? Now we got to review Memoria. Um, but we're going to review uh, some of these movies and Oscar Sprint Profiles. Or No, we're not even calling the Sprint anymore. Just Oscar Profiles and, of course, Oscar Race Checkpoints. It's going to be the go-to programming of the next few months, I would say. Otherwise... Um, Words of wisdom, how dare I? But <laughs> I, I will say this, you know, we if you if you if you can't laugh, you'll cry. Um I think Spike Lee's gotta shake it off. I think he's brilliant. I think we love him. I think who gives a fuck? I think going, I don't think he's gonna even yeah, remember he did that once by fine. the time he's on the plane. Well, maybe yeah. don't do that in such a loud suit. I mean, we all gave you <laughs> we, no, we all gave you such applause. Louder. More suits. <laughs> I want everyone screwing up on a major stage wearing just a comic book on themselves. Right. Watch the the clip and the faces they give each other is the funniest part. Like it really it really is not what you'd expect and the fact that he yells out English at the end and uh all of that's good fun and it, it, it it's it just reminds us of the unpredictability of these award shows in a way. Which is which is fun and, for us, and that this is fun, right? And brilliant people, is, yeah. brilliant uh, people in front of the camera. Uh, even they will crack up at the end of you know however many standing ovations of X amount of minutes, <laughs> and it's not their fault. It's just it, it's the format's fault. Stop clapping! <laughs> <laughs> like you would have time to go up to each and every person and just smush their hands together so they couldn't clap. Maybe that's what we do is that you sit there with a stopwatch and like in the time that the standing ovation goes on, I see how many sandwiches I could make. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just spreading mayo on things. We bring Joey Chestnut in there and see how many hot dogs (laughs) he can eat. (laughs) Like that standing ovation lasted for two and a half sandwiches. (laughs) Uh, no, we've so, lost it. Oh, no, right. we've totally lost it. This, this, this Guys, is the end. When reality sucks, you can come recap the Cannes Film Festival with us. Uh, we are Mike, Mike, and Oscar trying to make award season and sandwiches year-round without the stuffiness. We will see you all very soon. Oh, we're without any stuffiness. <laughs> see you.